Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders in using information technology to improve healthcare and healthcare services. With me on today's show are Mark Vafiades, Senior Advisor, Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT at the Department of Health and Human Services. Jose Arrieta, Chief Information Officer, Department of Health and Human Services. Shermander Paul, Chief Data Officer, Department of Veterans Affairs. Bill Tinson, Program Executive Officer, Defense Healthcare Management Systems. John Harris, Director of Federal Mobility Solutions, Verizon Public Sector. Kara Edwards, ServiceNow Healthcare Solution Consultant, and Ben Cushing, Director of Emerging Technologies at Red Hat. Well, this is certainly a very important subject for a lot of people, and certainly very timing, timely. Uh, we have a great mix of departments and agencies and partners here with us today, and a variety of roles that each of you are holding. So this should be a, a, just an absolutely fantastic conversation. Mark, let's start with you. Give us a state-of-the-state state of the program uh, that you're involved with there at Health and Human Services. Uh, thank you, Luke. Um, first of all, one of the things we've been working on for the past few years, and we're really, we're really um, uh, finishing up, and that is the implementation of provisions of the 21st Century Cures Act, which was passed almost unanimously in 2016 and signed into law. And two of the provisions that we're really working on that, that we think are transformative for the healthcare system are interoperability and patient access. Uh, so let me just start real quickly with interoperability. That is the ability for providers and healthcare organizations to share uh, medical record information, healthcare information on their patients with others. And that has not been the case previously. If you're, if you're seeing one doctor that isn't necessarily connected uh, in the same organization as another provider, then they're not necessarily sharing information. So you could go to a doctor, you could have some lab tests and so forth, and then go to a second provider, a second doctor, and they're asking you about maybe those lab results because they don't have them. They may even give you uh, a, a, a second test, something you had last week, which uh, not only is, is, is uh, costly, but it's just, it's just a lot of trouble. So again, this will allow and require health organizations and providers to share all your healthcare information with one another. Patient access, that's the second major part of this, and that allows the patients to be in control of their own healthcare information. And the provision requires that there will be application programming interfaces, um, and, which basically is the gateway to information on each provider's portal that will allow a smartphone app to go to that portal, collect that information, and bring it back to your smartphone. And th those smartphone apps will be for the patients at no charge. So you will be able to see everything that's going on with your health, your lab tests, your, your conditions, your previous appointments, your after visit summaries, and so forth. So again, this is transformative. And it also uh, kind of puts competition back into the healthcare market, which has been missing for a long time, in that when you see all that information, including pricing information, you'll be able to shop for care. Wow, that's fantastic. And it sounds like an, uh, it, it sounds incredible. And uh, 
something that every American that can certainly enjoy, uh, but it certainly sounds daunting to be able to implement that. Let me go over to Jose, because it sounds like you'll have to get involved with the implementation of something like that and certainly do it securely and all these other things that have to be thought about uh, when implementing a system across the country like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, so first of all, it is uh, an unbelievable goal. I think um, I'll, I'll talk about something that we've built since uh, April 5th. And so as it relates to the coronavirus response, and I think it dovetails nicely into to Mark's comments. And one of the challenges we have across the United States in responding to this pandemic is a lack of visibility into and a common operating picture in terms of what's happening on the ground across the U.S. Um, and so on April 5th, we were given a proof of concept uh, that was a very small proof of concept that was invested in by um, CDC. And we've gone forth and actually built something that we call HHS Protect. Uh, we, we launched it on April 10th. Um, HHS Protect is focused on you know, protecting people, protecting transparency, protecting privacy, protecting security, um, and finally protecting integrity and data sharing. Uh, the platform itself, by April 28th, we had 2.5 billion data elements in it. Um, we had data that we're receiving data from all 50 states and all six territories. We're sharing data with all 50 states and all six territories. We currently have about 4 billion data elements in it. Uh, the data elements include data directly submitted to us from around 5,800 hospitals across the United States, all of the single sources of truth for case reporting. We have a diagnostic dashboard and we have almost all the lab testing that exists across the United States, direct interface, daily feeds into it. And we can look at a common operating picture across the United States as it relates to coronavirus at the federal level, at the state level, at the county level, and at the zip code. Now we can get an understanding how the virus itself is impacting uh, different uh, people. Um, now our approach, and I'm going to tie it back to kind of what Mark said, um, our approach has been uh, to actually take commercial technologies loop and, and instead of hiring an integrator, actually be the integrator and integrate those technologies to deliver the solution. So we have a modern identity access management capability. We have a modern secure file transfer capability. We have a platform that allows for parsing, curation, and sharing with integrity. It's underlined by a hash. It has a time series capability. So when we opened it up to states and one of the states mentioned that we were manipulating numbers, I went back in time through my immutable hash and I said, it looks like you guys actually submitted the same data set twice within two minutes and you backdated one. I'm not sure why you did that, but this is immutable. This is the single source of truth. We're running, we, we overlaid it with mapping technology and ability to sign and agree to digital agreements. We have about 20 DUAs with private sector commercial companies that are providing insights on the medical distribution network as it relates to coronavirus across the United States. We're running a supervised machine learning capability off the 4 billion data elements to actually predict hotspot outbreaks across the United States so that we can run clinical trials more efficiently to distribute remdesivir across the United States to help the American people uh, and to distribute lab testing across the United States. So we put that in place, started on April 10th. Um, what I, the numbers I just gave you is where we are at this time. One of the things that we did recently within the last two weeks to kind of get to Mark's point is we actually set up a public-private key infrastructure and, and what we've done is we've created the ability for an organization, like a company, to have a digital identity, government to have a digital identity, an endpoint, whether it's a sensor or a machine, think of an over-the-counter COVID-19 test at CVS, to actually have a digital identity so that we can build an application ecosystem leveraging the data in HHS Protect and leveraging 
the test results so that an individual consumer can actually keep their test result on their phone, timestamped, anonymized, in an immutable way, updated at the federal, state level, uh, directly from an over-the-counter CVS test, uh, and, and then use the data in HHS Protect so when they're driving down I-95, they can figure out where they should stop to go to the bathroom based on case counts, based on zip codes, based on a live stream API uh, of that data. We think that modernizes the healthcare industry. We think this pandemic in and of itself is a fundamental shift for the industry. Why? We need 1.5 million people are going to have to enroll in clinical trials. We have a clinical right. registry. We have about 500,000 people signed up. We need people to register for vaccines. We probably are going to have to vaccinate 330 million people. If only half of them actually choose to get the vaccination, you've just created a digital identity for 170 million people across the United States and given them the ability to store the record of their vaccination on a mobile device. Pretty um, incredible uh, situation there and a daunting task. I love the Lego block sort of uh, approach to uh, building on this environment. Uh, so that you can provide that capability across the uh, the entire country, quite frankly. That's super impressive. Uh, Shemender, let's go over to you at uh, VA. Uh, you've been over there for uh, a little while now as the chief data officer, and we all know a lot of this uh, is about the data and making sure we have uh, accurate data and making sure we can identify it, index it, et cetera. Uh, give us a state of the state as to what's happening uh, over there at VA as you've uh, entered onto the scene. Thanks, Luke. I will. And appreciate being on the show. And I, I, I really want to riff on what Jose and Mark uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, Jose is a great partner over at uh, HHS. We're also building a common operating platform, leveraging some of the lessons learned and working out uh, appropriate sharing of data. We report into uh, HHS Protect uh, our testing. I think all of you know, but maybe the audience may not know, VA runs the largest integrated healthcare system in the United States. So in that role, we're uh, reporting into, uh, reporting into you know, Protect Now uh, as we're building out a common operating picture to help uh, the executives in headquarters and in the field with the integrated networks, with the medical centers out in the country uh, to, to better align decision-making and uh, support our veterans. And to help us execute our fourth mission of helping to backstop the U.S. healthcare system uh, in this time of pandemic. You know, also coming back to what Mark was saying about interoperability, access, APIs, aligning with uh, uh, standards-based approaches. Um, we're all we're all in on that, and VA kind of sees ourselves as a as a key test bed, a key partner for the national coordinator. Uh, we've been a leader in uh, doing uh, health information exchanges and things like that. Uh, the blue button work, for example, started at, uh, at VA, now has migrated over to CMS. Something I want to highlight, though, is the, you know, the policy framework. I came in, like you said, about 11 months ago. Uh, been doing a lot of work with partners inside of VA. Uh, what's interesting is that CDOs are in all different parts of organizations. Jose is the CIO, is also the chief data officer. Uh, at VA, I'm not in the Office of the Information, uh, Information and Technology. I'm in the Office of Enterprise Integration, which has an internal integrative policy governance function across all of VA. Uh, I partner closely with the CTO, Charles Worthington, and uh, somebody in a new role, a Chief Data Technology Officer, Denise Kitts. We work with the CIO, with the executives, and the different operating com uh, components within, within VA to drive an integrated uh, data strategy using a data governance council. 
you know, some specific examples. I talked about the common operating picture. We're building that to help uh, us improve our response on, on the COVID-19. Uh, telemedicine is another area. We've been a leader in telemedicine, but uh, over the time of the pandemic, that's just gone off the charts in terms of how much of our service delivery to veterans has been done through telemedicine, tele-ICU, things like that. Um, we're, we're also kind of at the cutting edge of disease modeling. Uh, you know, uh, the national surveillance tool, uh, we've developed epidemiological models of COVID-19 and how it manifests. We use natural language processing on the clinical notes in our electronic health record system to be able to generate that signal to allow us to understand the patient journey, uh, inpatient and outpatient for the veterans we serve uh, predominantly through uh, the Veterans Health Administration. So a variety of different aspects. And, you know, while data has been a strategic asset, in VA for some time. The push now is with the Foundations of Evidence-Based Policy Making Act, the Federal Data Strategy, to really take that to the next level. And there's a lot of energy behind uh, you know, Using behind. other data and the, and, and the use of this technology, and the, particularly this modern technology that's being introduced, it's just incredible um, uh, how we can really attack this pandemic. It's awesome to see this. Uh, Bill, how about over at Defense Healthcare? Um, and, and why don't you give us a minute on sort of you know, what is the role of, uh, you know, people think about DOD and EHR is there, and then I think about, you know, VA and what they're doing and interfacing, and maybe a quick one-on-one on what is all that, and then what's your role in, in implementing all this? Well, so what we're doing, and actually, I think it was interesting listening to Mark, Jose, and Shamander. Um, it was almost like being at a, a staff meeting this morning, the topics that they, they covered. So what we do at PEO DHMS is Defense Healthcare Management Systems, is we're charged with being the DOD provider of health IT. Originally, the new, uh, the new EHR, Electronic Health Record, called MHS Genesis. Uh, there's an operational medicine role and a data, uh, a data accessibility role as well. But what's been going on the last year is pretty exciting, and that is taking what we're doing with our what in DOD we call MHS Genesis and working with the VA and working with the Coast Guard and making it and going beyond Mark's comments about interoperability, at least within the federal healthcare providers and, and making it a common record, not an interoperable record, but a single record, a common record about the patient, not where the care was delivered or who delivered the care. And, and uh, we're making great progress on that. Um, this month, the Coast Guard goes live with their, their initial sites. Uh, their initial wave. Uh, in the very near future, the VA is going to go live. Uh, and, and DOD has eight sites live at this point and, and continue and has a schedule that takes us through 2023, delivering a modern EHR to the, the military health system. But it's a single record about the patient and not where the care is delivered. It's very, very exciting. And then the other thing, uh, Mark talked about, uh, you talked about access to your own record, but it's more than that from a data perspective. Uh, I had another program, it was the operational medicine program, and going through the response to the COVID experience, um, the, it has proven to me, and I think this was, this was covered a little bit, or at least touched on by some of the other the folks before me, but it's not about operational medicine, right? What, what we viewed in DOD as operational medicine, which is delivering the data uh, about the right patient to the right provider, um, uh, at the right time based on the characteristics of the care that needs to be delivered and the technical characteristics of the environment. We thought of that as operational medicine. 
So it gets to common operating picture, right? Uh, we all talked about common operating picture. We also have common operating picture uh, efforts underway uh, domestically, but we were able to capture what we were doing with the, with the op operational medicine capabilities and bring it domestically and apply it to the COVID uh, situation. And then look at how do we extend this? And, and as we're looking at this, how do we extend this across uh, non-traditional uh, healthcare delivery environments, uh, the capabilities that we already have and how do we extend them? So, so that's what we're doing. And that's, that's uh, uh, the telemedicine. Uh, Shamander mentioned telemedicine and what the VA has accomplished there. And from a DOD perspective, and this joint federal approach to providing the electronic health record DOD is leaning into what the VA has done and the success they've achieved there and trying to adopt the same set of tools uh, to extend uh, the, 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 the clinical workflows that we create through MHS Genesis to, to different environments uh, and non-traditional environments. Absolutely fantastic uh, news there. And I'm sure that uh, every, uh, uh, every warfighter in the DOD is uh, happy to hear that. Uh, uh, John, we can't do this without uh, good connectivity and being able to stitch all this together, telemedicine, et cetera. Uh, where does Verizon public sector fit into uh, uh, an ecosystem like this? Yeah, thanks again, Luke, for having me. And I, I think it's a great, uh, great question. You know, today's environment has put a lot of, uh, a lot of resiliency and, and uh, dependency on remote networks. And so as Verizon, you know, I think we're excited and, uh, and eager to participate and, uh, and help to fuel the telehealth and, and uh, interoperability that some of the, uh, the folks you've heard uh, talk already have mentioned. So, you know, we're doing a lot of work to expand uh, 5G. Uh, I'm sure you've been reading a lot about that recently, but, you know, finding ways to provide uh, additional bandwidth, uh, lower latency, and really push new and innovative use cases uh, to our uh, our end users. Uh, you know, Verizon, we're obviously you know concerned today about caring for our employees and and certainly you know caring for their safety. But then finding ways to leverage technology to uh, to innovate and fuel telehealth and and keep people maybe out of large uh, healthcare facilities uh, if they need to be uh, need to be isolated and, and need to be in a safer environment is is critical. So. Recently, we just launched uh, our 5G mo uh, mobile edge compute platform. It's a partnership with AWS. It's called Wavelength. Uh, and so finding ways to push compute power to the edge, uh, higher powered uh, you know, applications that uh, can now be delivered uh, outside of a, a heavy data center uh, can really help enable you know, remote, uh, remote solutions. I wanted to, to call out uh, Shaminder and his team at the VA. And you know, we've been working a lot with folks at Palo Alto uh, on a 5G pilot where we have partners like Metavis who have been working uh, to, to really discover and innovate how we can leverage something like 5G to provide better care for patients. So imagine you know, a world where when, instead of looking, you know, a doctor looking at a 2D uh, sort of MRI you know, image on a screen and then trying to turn to a patient uh, and enable, or, or sorry, or, or you know, translate that in their mind, you know, where is the issue? What's happening with this patient? Now we can potentially have a VR or AR uh, situation where the doctor can look at the patient and lay the uh, MRI image right on top of the patient and be much more accurate in how we deliver care uh, and services. So, you know, some really, really innovative stuff that's happening, some really, uh, you know, I think exciting things that Verizon could, can do to help enable uh, a lot of these services at the edge. Uh, and, and that's sort of on the, uh, you know, the cutting edge. We're also doing things just sort of day to day by enabling, you know, mobile 
uh, EHR access and, and you know, tr providing, as uh, Jose mentioned, you know, access to applications when people are up and down I-95 and delivering that information in a secure and reliable way uh, is critical. So uh, this has presented a lot of new challenges and a lot of new opportunities, and we're excited to leverage the Verizon network and, uh, and help to deliver for uh, our partners and their missions. Fantastic. Great technology and coming at a, uh, at a, a very important time. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. There's too much confusion with healthcare IT. Systems don't talk, don't share information, don't help agencies provide experiences citizens and employees deserve. And confusion makes us scared. Scared for our health, for our privacy, for our families. ServiceNow is dedicated to making the scary simple. We create modern workflows and opportunities and improve the administration of medical care through innovative health IT services. We want you to feel cared for, not scared. ServiceNow. We make the world of work work better for people. Your ability to innovate relies on more than emerging technology. It's about a new way of working. It's about how your people change behaviors across the organization to transform culture. I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat, a globally trusted open source software company. We can help your team transform by teaching a more open approach to development and operations through agile principles and empowering a culture of DevSecOps. To learn more, Visit redhat.com slash gov. Your transition to EIS shouldn't be complicated, and that's where Verizon can help. With a proven transition process and experience moving millions of connections, Verizon can give you the expertise and support you need, so you can worry less about the risk of disruption or overworking your team. And when you're ready to modernize, we'll be there to help. Rely on Verizon to help make your transition into EIS as simple as possible. The partner government agencies rely on. Get started with a transition guide at enterprise.verizon.com slash EIS. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. We are talking about uh, IT healthcare uh, across the, uh, the entire uh, country, quite frankly. And uh, I'm going to roll it over to uh, Cara at ServiceNow. And uh, we've heard a lot about uh, different agencies interacting with each other, a lot of telemedicine, et cetera. What's going on at ServiceNow to uh, enable all this? Sure. So we're working with um, different healthcare executives and administrators across you know, the different visions. Um, I support the VA. And we're finding that healthcare staff safety and veteran experience is really one of the top concerns and priorities. Um, if we take COVID, for example, the hospital staff members no longer have, you know, are working longer hours and are really on the front lines of patient care. So they don't have the luxury of pushing around carts from room to room. They need to be able to push and receive data at their fingertips using their mobile devices or, or issued devices. Um, so one of our customers over on the, on the private side, <clears throat> they really wanted us to come in and examine, you know, how they can change that patient experience and get the patients to engage more with the hospital staff and find some alternative ways to inject technology. Um, so from the patient perspective, we're entering that digital age where they can order food or request medications or even, you know, um, uh, turn a channel, the room channel on their TV um, from their, just using Alexa, for, you know, from their remote. And then on the clinician side, uh, we have, you know, the clinicians that have those issued devices, they can actually stop the blood pressure or temperature machines from beeping. I'm, I'm sure you visit someone in the hospital and you hear that annoying beeping in the background. Now they can just use their device to turn that off. Um, or they can even reassign a task or request from a patient 
um, to a nurse that's within that location, just to, again, to enhance that patient experience. Yeah, it sounds like uh, not only the patient experience, but the clinician experience as well, and just a, a better workflow across the spectrum, which is fantastic. I'm glad to see that, uh, that, that technology has been introduced. Ben, uh, we, uh, we've been talking about emerging technologies all morning. What's happening at Red Hat and how do they sort of fit into this emerging technology ecosystem? Yeah, uh, you know, as already mentioned, uh, COVID-19 has really compounded the existing infrastructure problems in healthcare systems. And uh, patient overflow at a hospital isn't just an issue for resource constraints. Uh, the underlying systems also have to scale to meet demand. Um, and the, the continued adoption of technologies with smaller and smaller footprints has really started to show its value in this time. So allowing for massive scaling events to meet that demand. Um, that same technology is also being used to rapidly build out field hospitals and gyms, parks, and ships for real-time flow of healthcare data. Um, and these small footprints leverage edge technologies, like John mentioned, to produce insights at the site of care, uh, no matter how remote they might be. Um, a fine example can be found with, uh, there's a large healthcare provider uh, in, in uh, it's like the Southeast that created a sepsis prediction and optimization therapy pr uh, platform. It, uh, it collects and analyzes clinical data and signal caregivers in real time to initiate uh, early sepsis care. Uh, they used uh, open source software to create a scalable container-based platform as a service. And the group also uses uh, automation management analytics software to support real-time data collection, analysis, and proactive case management. Um, it's really like exciting to see that type of technology being applied anywhere, but there are many active programs across the federal healthcare agencies that are using similar approaches. Uh, and you know, it's really exciting just to be a part of any of that. Um, everyone you know, on this panel and everyone listening are patients and you know, the broader the adoption of proven innovative technologies, the greater the impact to the quality and duration of our lives. Certainly, uh, healthcare is important to all of us, our families, our friends, our colleagues, et cetera. And I love the multimodal example that you gave there. Uh, let's get into a specific program that's been uh, super successful. So uh, let's start with you, Bill. Can you give us an example of a, a program that you all have, are working on or have already implemented that's really been a success as far as uh, you know, the implementation of healthcare across the uh, community? Well, I'd, I'd rather talk about what we're doing in of a portfolio instead of a program. I sometimes think that we, we draw arbitrary boundaries around our programs. And so what we're managing at DHMS, and frankly, as we move forward in conjunction with the Coast Guard and the VA, part of the Federal Electronic Health Record Modernization Office, is the delivery of capabilities, IT capabilities to support um, VA, DOD, and, and, and uh, Coast Guard, and, and potentially other federal uh, uh, healthcare providers across the full spectrum, right? So we put a lot of focus on uh, upfront on getting the electronic health record, uh, MHS Genesis, and the shared implementation with, with VA and Coast Guard deployed. So DOD has, you know, we started a few years ago. I, I think we really started back in 15. We did some initial, initial sites, you may recall, there were some observations that it was not perfect at our initial sites. We learned a lot from that. Sure. Uh, this past September, we went to four sites 
uh, in what we called Wave Travis, which was tremendously successful. Um, so we have eight sites running. When COVID happened and we all had to look at things differently, what we found, what we observed was, and I talked a little bit about this earlier, is that where we had deployed the modern EHR, that we were, we enabled the healthcare providers to be more adaptable, more resilient, and more responsive to the changing unknown future needs and changing needs of responding to COVID, new COVID tests, how to order them, things like that. Where we had the new system in place, the new capabilities in place, we were able to make those changes inside a day, actually in less than a half a day, get the updates to training out there and, and clinically have people prepared to use them, uh, providers prepared to use them. Where we were dealing with the legacy environments, it took months to get the same thing accomplished. So very exciting. And I talked earlier about how we were able to pull back the operational pullbacks may be a poor choice, but use the operational medicine technologies that we generally used with deployed forces, right? Uh, think, you know, Afghanistan, people might be using it there, low bandwidth, and so the, the, the 5G and the, the Verizon talk was very relevant there because we're shifting to all network delivered capabilities and, and data. Um, but pull those capabilities back, um, provide our, our, our operational medical situational awareness capabilities to CONUS so that we can get insight into how be, where, where beds are, where beds are available, where PPE is, and, and what the situation is in the military health system, and how it all ties together uh, and ties back to the record. And then also take that same set of technology, the operational uh, medicine technologies, and apply it to delivering care in non-traditional environments, right? Going back to the data conversation. We're collecting this data. We have a very rich uh, uh, and very broad collection of data about people. Um, about patients, how do we get that to where the care needs to be delivered, and where care needs to be delivered has shifted. Our, our whole understanding of that has shifted away from the traditional fixed medical center that, 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 that people are accustomed to, and we talked about that a little up front, and, and we need to be more flexible because of COVID, and as we go through the COVID, we realize there are other advantages to it, and we're open to to creating the capability to do that more broadly. You gotta meet the patients where they are. And I love the example of sort of iterating and uh, learning and evolving is uh, a fantastic example of, of um, you know, improving the, uh, the ecosystem. Kara, uh, let's go over to, excuse me, Kara, let's go over to you at ServiceNow. And uh, you gave uh, an example or you mentioned uh, that you're working with the VA. Give us a specific example of a program that you've been working on uh, that's been uh, perhaps wildly successful. So I'll give you um, one of the things I wanted to share was um, the fact that we work with the state of Washington and we're starting to work more with the VA now, but I don't have a specific um, example for you. But we work with the state of, of Washington when COVID first struck and we built these applications over you know the course of three days. And really it was emergency response and assigning staff and resources to support the emergency, uh, COVID being COVID distributing information, so emergency outreach, um, self-reporting so that employees could say, hey, I feel sick, I'm not really ready to return to work, and somehow notifying their managers you know, of their, of their um, uh, illness, and then in emergency exposure management. So this is where they're identifying and managing exposure risk so that they don't expose their patients or you know, other staff members. Um, we, we deployed those applications in March, and then we piggybacked on those applications and built you know, six more um, so that we, to release to our customers. And what we found uh, during this time period was our customers wanted, like Jose mentioned, some more dashboards and analytics so that they can 
track some of the trends um, and kind of isolate some of those cases. Uh, workplace safety was another application that we rolled out. PPE inventory, we worked with a number of hospitals that were trying to track some of the you know, PPE equipment that were, you know, it, it, you can remember it was just scarce, right? So now doctors and uh, clinicians can check in and check out uh, inventory. In addition to employees that are starting to transition back into the workplace, they can, you know, be assigned, you know, PPE uh, in, uh, equipment. Contact tracing. Um, we started this, you know, for one of our, uh, you know, private sector companies. And what they wanted to do was try to figure out or, or pinpoint who was in the meeting rooms together. How can we isolate that group and keep those folks at home so that they do not spread the, you know, spread the virus to other members of their team? And then the last application was facilities management. Where do we need to go and sterilize and clean? Which rooms, you know, may have, you know, caused some, some, some of this illness to spread? Um, um, and so we can kind of deploy the crew to go and clean these rooms. So yeah, these applications were built, as I mentioned, over the course of three days. And then we had, you know, a tiger team building these additional applications for other hospitals that we support in the private sector. Outstanding, uh, real-time accurate information, which is uh, crucial uh, in a situation like, uh, like this. Shermender, how about over at VA? Can you give us an example of a specific program you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I think I want to, I want to, um, uh, you know, kind of build on what Bill was talking about. Bill mentioned the firm, uh, the Federal Health Electronic Records Management Office. That's a joint DOD-VA construct. It's helping to guide the implementation of the single integrated electronic health record for patients, a patient-centric view. Uh, I think by, by most accounts, this is the largest IT project in government. Uh, the partnership with DOD is incredible. A specific aspect that's in my lane is around data management, right? As we go through this transition, whether it's DHA transitioning, whether it's on the VA side, you know, on the VA side in particular, we're going to be dual operations with Vista and, and the um, Cerner Millennium for a number of years, right, as we go through the cutover. Uh, so it's, it's, it gives us an incredible impetus to dramatically mature our data management capabilities, our data governance capabilities, the tooling and instrumentation we use to support that, how we do requirements management, right, to make sure that we are uh, not missing a beat as we're operating on the VA side, an uh, integrated healthcare system, and uh, the same on the DOD side. Um, you know, related to this, and this is, uh, I think, a an important angle on uh, health IT is this idea of veterans experience, right? Customer experience, uh, veterans experience was, was mentioned earlier. And, you know, every veteran starts out as a service member, right? So it's really the service members veterans experience as a continuum. And in that lens, we're working really closely with our counterparts in DOD, me with my uh, counterpart, David Spurks, the chief data officer. Uh, and then under a construct called the joint executive committee, which is co-chaired by the Deputy Secretary over in VA and the Undersecretary for Personnel and Readiness over in DOD, we're working on a joint data and analytics strategy, you know, building out on this idea of a, you know, a, a service member veterans journey. Uh, you know, so you, you got the electronic health record, but then you got the rest of the story, right? The core identification information, service information, right? To be able to treat the veteran, treat the customer as a whole person, over their lifetime, right? So that's sort of the vision that we're trying to work towards. Right, through that entire ecosystem, just like a civilian wants to have, you know, their, their records go from, you know, doctor to doctor, the same sort of thing. 
uh, would imagine that we would uh, want to experience there from service uh, to uh, uh, migrating over to a veteran. Uh, John, how about over at Verizon? Can you give us a specific example of a program that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I want to build on a little bit of what uh, Shaminda was just talking about around veteran experience. You know, we've worked very closely with the Office of Connected Care uh, over the last couple of years. And, you know, when you think about a veteran, one of the, the challenges in many cases they have is they live, you know, many, many miles or hours away from, you know, the closest uh, either hospital or clinic location. And so what we have been really working to do is to provide connectivity and remote telehealth solutions to those veterans. Uh, and have really worked to deploy, you know, thousands of, uh, of tablet solutions uh, so that veterans can receive care in their home. Uh, they're able to connect back to the VA through the VA Video Connect app. They can have uh, individual session with their clinician, with their doctor. They can uh, connect with other veterans. They can, uh, you know, access many, many resources uh, across the uh, the platform that the VA offers. And so, instead of you know spending hours in a car or coming into a crowded hospital, they're able to get that healthcare uh, right in their homes. We've also done some work for folks that maybe don't have access to that tablet-based type solution, and we've eliminated any charges, if you will, for utilization of data on their smartphone. Uh, so veterans or anyone really can connect through the application, uh, again, to connect back to the VA, uh, have a, a video conference with their doctor, and do that without uh, incurring any data charges. So we're really working, I think, to enable uh, these, these platforms to uh, extend their reach and, and really, uh, you know, leverage the Verizon network to be able to, to connect to folks all across the country and provide that critical care that they need. So uh, some really good partnership with the, uh, the VA. That is outstanding. I'm sure every uh, veteran certainly does appreciate that. Uh, let's go over to Mark. Uh, Mark, can you give us an example of a program that you'd like to highlight uh, um, in regards to what's happening over there at HHS? Sure. You know, we're very lucky at ONC, uh, the Office of the National Coordinator, because we have so many great programs that are under the works. But let me, let me talk about the program for programs, and that is the ONC Tech Lab. Uh, and actually it's at healthit.gov forward slash tech lab. And basically if, if people out there in the private sector or the research sector or nonprofits have a project that they're thinking of working on that they think is a really great idea in the, in the healthcare space, they can submit a project, um, they, they can do a project submission on that website and then that way, it, it allows for other organizations to you know, possibly collaborate, to make sure there's not a duplication in effort. Uh, after all, we are the national coordinator, so this is a way for us to coordinate great projects that are out there. And I'm sure all of you have seen that you know, with the COVID pandemic, there are all kinds of folks that have said, hey, I've got this really, really great idea for a project that will really help in, in the COVID space. So we have a place where we can send them to so that they can, again, submit the, their project and, and talk about it and collaborate. And, and if there are other people that are, that are you know, working on something similar, they can collaborate. And it, it really has had some really great results. We've had over Fantastic. 100 project submissions so far. Fantastic. Uh, didn't even realize that there was a program like that. And I'm glad there's uh, been such a wide uh, amount of um, participation. All right, we're going to take another short break and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network.
There's too much confusion with healthcare IT. Systems don't talk, don't share information, don't help agencies provide experiences citizens and employees deserve. And confusion makes us scared. Scared for our health, for our privacy, for our families. ServiceNow is dedicated to making the scary simple. We create modern workflows and opportunities and improve the administration of medical care through innovative health IT services. We want you to feel cared for, not scared. ServiceNow. We make the world of work work better for people. Your ability to innovate relies on more than emerging technology. It's about a new way of working. It's about how your people change behaviors across the organization to transform culture. I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat, a globally trusted open source software company. We can help your team transform by teaching a more open approach to development and operations through agile principles and empowering a culture of DevSecOps. To learn more, Visit redhat.com gov. Your transition to EIS shouldn't be complicated, and that's where Verizon can help. With a proven transition process and experience moving millions of connections, Verizon can give you the expertise and support you need, so you can worry less about the risk of disruption or overworking your team. And when you're ready to modernize, we'll be there to help. Rely on Verizon to help make your transition into EIS as simple as possible. The partner government agencies rely on. Get started with a transition guide at enterprise.verizon.com slash EIS. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. We're talking about IT healthcare across the federal spectrum. We were just talking about specific programs, and I want to throw it over to you, Ben, and uh, give us an example of uh, what Red Hat is up to in regards to a uh, specific program that you'd like to highlight. Yeah, I'm... Uh... There's a few. I'm, I'm, I think my, I'm the most excited about the work we're doing at DHA right now. Uh, we're migrating legacy data systems to uh, modern cloud-based platforms. And we're doing this in collaboration with our partners um, at several different uh, system integrators uh, using a streaming platform that is actively applying data normalization, cleansing, and then providing a bi-directional longitudinal patient record using FHIR. Uh, for interoperability standards. Um, downstream of that platform, we have DHA partners using our AI platform technologies to produce uh, predictive analysis at the population level. Um, that's being proven out right now. And then the, the next focus is really uh, using that same technology to craft real-time situational awareness of emergent adverse conditions like PTSD, diabetes, et cetera. Um, that state uh, for me is what gets me out of bed in the morning. Really excited. Fantastic and uh, super important subject, super important topic, and uh, certainly is uh, very much a real-time situation that we're all facing. Uh, Jose, how about uh, at HHS? On your opening, you gave us a lot of examples of different activities that are going on. Uh, see if you can narrow down to one specific program that you'd like to highlight where you guys are really going big. I mean, HHS Protect is the largest you know, public health surveillance system in the history of the United States. Um, it, it gives us the ability to sp speed up clinical trials. It, it gives us the ability to uh, distribute remdesivir. We're using it for that. Uh, it gives us the ability to predict outbreaks um, you know, at every single level across the U.S. I can literally look at a little hospital in the rural uh, location that I grew up with in northeastern Pennsylvania. I can see how many ventilators they have, how many beds they have. I can, you know, 
how many total beds they have, how many patients have COVID-19, if there's any patients uh, in those hospitals. Uh, one of the things that we've done um, with the data in HHS Protect, and you can see it if you go to protect-people.hhs.gov, we've started to dashboard and share all of the data uh, related to the common operating picture around hospitals. Um, we, we dashboard all the, we dashboard the raw data and then we dashboard estimates so that we can extrapolate that raw data across the entire United States off of the five, you know, the 5,000 hospitals we have every day. And hospital reporting varies every day. That's why the number doesn't stay the same. Stay the same. We've also taken those raw data sets and made them downloadable on healthdata.gov, outlined the steps with which we build our predictive models and added in policy insights that are occurring at the federal and state level across the United States. So the community um, of modelers and the community of researchers and the scientists of the future that are at universities can literally work with real-time data across the United States about this pandemic to hone their craft. So when Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and Dr. Redfield retire someday, we will, there'll be a community of folks that can carry the baton if, a, if an event like this occurs again. We're, we're really proud about that. We're working uh, in, to partner with associations across the United States to share the data within HHS Protect. We're talking about 4 billion health data elements, federal, state, and local zip code and county level. We're gonna make, we need from a public health surveillance perspective, uh, but we can make it available to associations and companies um, so that they can lower their fixed costs related to collecting data, related to whether it's running clinical trials or whether it's informing hospitals as to the environmental activities that are actually occurring around them. Again, it's all built off of HHS Protect. You know, we've, I have to say this, I'm so proud of the OCIO team at HHS. We've lowered our operating expenditures by 12%. Our budget has increased by 170% because of COVID. We've increased our customer service scores by 40%. So now 67% of our customers think we're excellent versus 20, 27%. Um, and we've managed to uh, identify and drive cost avoidance of about $200 million across the portfolio. Um, so all while building the largest public health surveillance system in the history of the United States and, and working, and I have to thank the Verizon folks for this. Um, and, and we've dealt with some very large cyber events since March. Uh, and we built a modern MTIF uh, to secure the perimeter of HHS, which is one of the largest internets on the face of the earth. Um, and we, you know, we were able to do that in 120 days at a 74% discount off of uh, commercial pricing. So, I, you know, we've, we have a lot going on. The biggest program is HHS Protect, but I'm really proud of the team. We've done a number of amazing things. To be able to Incredible amount of work done under such a short amount of time with a lot of constraints. So... Hats off to everybody over there at HHS. All right, well, we're gonna uh, uh, wrap it up here and we always like to uh, end with uh, talking about uh, the future. And Ben, we're gonna start with you. Uh, you know, if you could just paint a picture, sort of look around the corner over the horizon, not too far, but what does it look like out there? What can we expect to see, you know, three, four years down the road? Uh, yeah, uh, AI is definitely the future for healthcare, right? Um, uh, most AI today is used for big data analytics. Uh, this, of course, affects population health, simulation, value-based care. Uh, that being said, I'm really excited about what happens when we use applied AI. Uh, my definition of that is AI that actually influences decision-making in real time. 
um, think drug, drug, drug allergy interactions, uh, predictions, um, things like sepsis, right? Uh, getting AI predictions down to the patient level, uh, not just for precision me medicine, but to react to adverse emergent conditions as they're happening and, and maybe even before. Uh, you know, uh, we get to that state in a couple different ways. The first is by transforming the IT culture of institutions to align with like agile and DevSecOps principles. I'm seeing more and more of that inside of the healthcare IT uh, uh, market. And it's really uh, heartening to see, to see that kind of uh, transformation. Um, and then secondly, uh, you know, the use of process automation as a bridge. If you have a care plan defined as a process and that process is actively running in state, then AI can act actively influence decision nodes in the care plan. Uh, and to do that, we actually have to author those care plans. There's a, a wonderful uh, initiative going on right now uh, inside of the OMG group, which is the standards body that publishes the standards for business process notation, decision management notation, and case management for like a wide variety of industries in, uh, like um, finance and uh, manufacturing and supply chain. They're now applying those same concepts to healthcare and they're working with some of the largest healthcare institutions and federal agencies to actually produce um, models of uh, care plans. And they're, they're calling them uh, uh, shareable clinical care pathways. That's fantastic. So, uh, uh, it sounds like some awesome stuff. So Cara, give us a picture, uh, paint a picture of the future. What does it look like in a couple of years in regards to ServiceNow? What's in the, what's in the Petri dish over there? Yeah, so what ServiceNow, our plan is to help um, our IT organizations to really beef up their infrastructure so that if there is another pandemic or emergency situation, um, IT can help better help their, their customers uh, with providing care or information or data, um, you know, to, to make departments a little bit more effective. Um, just for the VA specifically, we are working tighter with IT so that, and HR, so that those common processes or forms, we're digitizing those, those elements so that really the VA can get back to the mission, which is supporting the veterans and enhancing that veteran experience. Right, wanna just uh, enable the technology so that they can, uh, they can uh, focus on the veterans. Uh, it's fantastic, glad to hear that. Uh, John, how about at Verizon? What does it look like in the future when you fully realize 5G? What does that mean to everybody? Yeah, it's a huge question, but uh, I think, you know, we like to think about it as though we have really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to fuel the next industrial revolution, which is 5G. So, uh, you know, again, pushing technology to the edge. I, I mentioned earlier the launch of our machine edge compute uh, options to, to really improve processing power, reduce latency, enable AI, as, as Ben had mentioned earlier, I think creates an unbelievable landscape of use cases that we really want to partner with industry, with government, with uh, everyone really to try to uh, identify. So I mentioned the work at Palo Alto earlier. I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. With 5G and the, the platform itself, uh, we have a, an unlimited future on what we can deliver for uh, for healthcare as well as for all of our government and uh, and consumer partners. So thanks again for the opportunity and uh, and uh, we're looking forward to building this uh, this next industrial revolution uh, on 5G. Fantastic, and I think we're all looking forward to it as well. And uh, uh, won't hold you to the timeline there, but I'm sure it's coming very very soon. Uh, Bill, how about over at Defense Healthcare? Uh, what's the future look like? I mean, what can we what can we expect as a, as a warfighter in three years, let's say? Well, so let me take it up a notch as to what we should be striving for, right? We're a group of IT people here today. 
So we like to talk about IT. And I think that's powerful and it helps us drive capability into the hands of the providers and, and into patient support. But what we really need to be striving for is, is, and there's a couple analogies I like to use, is IT you don't have to think about, right? Our, 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 our providers and our patients or the patients, they don't care about the IT. They care, they care that things work and they get the experience they want. I use, I use a theme park as, a, as an analogy for this sometimes to help clarify my thinking. So really, when you go to a, a theme park, you don't care about the power, how the power gets there, how the plumbing is done, how the roads get there. You care about the rides and the experience when you're in the park. And the IT people are keeping the park running. And, and from, from PEO DHMS perspective, we build the rides, which is a really cool thing, but that's what people go to the park for, is those healthcare capabilities that we provide. The other thing <clears throat> that I think is, it's, it's also an analogy, I'm, I'm sorry for that, but I, I read something last summer, not this summer, about, about the guy that invented air conditioning, right? It's, his name is Willis Carrier. I think I read it in the, in the post um, in July. And, and it was an interesting story because he was a printer. And he, he had a problem with his, in his print plant. And he couldn't get the ink to stick to the paper because of the humidity. So he tried to figure out a way to get the humidity out of the print plant so that his print plant would work. And so he did that. In the, he invented air conditioning to do that. Um, he had no idea, he, knows, he knew why he did it. He had no idea the impact it was gonna have on the world, how we work, and frankly, even on, on healthcare. He knew why he did it, he didn't know where it was gonna take us. We talked today a lot about what we're doing and why we're doing it. I think we're in a, in a, in a place now where we're doing the right things, but, but we're doing things that are so powerful, we don't even, we can't even comprehend where they're gonna take us, much like air conditioning. It did a whole lot more than allow print, a print plant to operate effectively. Very good analogy and really focus on that customer experience. Shermender, how about at the uh, VA? Uh, what's that gonna look like in two to three years? I'm gonna give a CDO-centric answer. Uh, I, I think we're, 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 we're working to further strengthen our identification and management of authoritative data at each of the moments that matter in the service member and veterans journey. Making sure that data is managed, is interoperable, and we're using it to improve operational service delivery. Um, and then second, we have the policy frameworks in place across DOD and VA to use that data appropriately to develop insight, build evidence to improve um, evidence-based policymaking and move in the direction of really understanding over the lifetime of our veterans, what's the impact of the services we provide, right? What's the cost, what's the impact, and how on the margin do we improve those outcomes around economic outcomes, health span, or dignities measured by social connectedness? Fantastic, um, very important, and I, uh, I, I applaud everything that you're doing over there. Jose, how about over at Health and Human Services? A uh, uh, lot of stuff on the deck there. Uh, what can we expect uh, you know, around the corner in about three years or so? Yeah, I, mean, I think, and I have to agree with what Bill and John uh, kind of couple the items they pointed out. I think that healthcare I think the reaction to the pandemic has been an investment in data sharing. It has been an investment in, in, in ingesting and curating and, and making data shareable with integrity. I think across the United States, you're going to see a significant increase in investment from private, in the private sector to develop supervised and unsupervised machine learning capabilities off of open data sets um, that are going to be made publicly available 
Um, you know, every single morning when I woke up for the first couple months of the pandemic, I'd look out my window, you know, working from the home office and I'd be like, what in the heck is this guy doing at my door? My wife started ordering groceries and having them delivered. It's fundamentally changed humanity, fundamentally changed the way Americans live. It's going to, all the money that's not going to restaurants is going to be invested in technology focused on supervised and unsupervised machine learning. Government will become uh, interoperability, data sharing with integrity and securing those underlying data sets. I think you, there's a significant change that's going to occur. And don't forget one thing, and I promise to stop, because I know you're on a timeline. Healthcare is 20% of U.S. GDP on a consumption basis. It's 55% of global, the United States is 55% of global healthcare GDP. Be ready for some significant changes. That is uh, a daunting uh, uh, figure there. Um, uh, while we have you here, why don't you give us your top priority for the year? Yeah, I think my uh, number one priority for the remainder of the year uh, is to create and provide full visibility uh, for congressional leaders. We're working on that now. Full visibility for state-level hospital associations across the United States. Automate the interactions with hospitals uh, before, Chris, before the fall, if possible, to make it easier to prepare for what Dr. Redfield described in his congressional testimony is the worst fall in, in American public health uh, history when you, when you combine the flu and COVID-19. So I'm focused on bringing as many capabilities to bear so that we're ready for that moment in time. We can create and provide that visibility. And I do expect a significant amount of tension. Anytime you're transparent with data, um, it's, it's hard to understand. It's something new. It creates a lot of tension. It creates a lot of discussion you know, so, uh, you know, preparing to, to deal with that. Okay. Mark, bring us home. Paint a picture of the future. What does it look like? What can we expect? Well, you know, it, this, the, the COVID pandemic really emphasized a lot of weaknesses and obsolete practices uh, in the healthcare system, as well as highlighted a lot of strengths and opportunities. One of the opportunities is telehealth. I know that's something that a lot of us have been proponents of, but we've really seen how great it is and, and how helpful it's been. And that's going to that's gonna move forward in the future. There'll be barriers that were up before to telehealth that will be taken down. Um, we're going to try to reduce the clinical burdens caused by electronic health records so that, so that doctors can focus more on their patients rather than on the, the quote, paperwork. Uh, and, and another big advantage of, of as, as Jose mentioned, all the data, the healthcare data that's been coming in, is that we'll be able to do uh, with, with, um, with de-identified data, a lot of data mining research. So it, it's not going to totally replace, um, you know, replace some of the in-person type of research, but people are going to be able to take that de-identified data and, and really take a cohort of folks and, and see how different conditions, different medications affect them uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. So it's really, we, we're, it's a brave new world and we really have just a lot to be optimistic about regarding that. Uh, the, the theme is focus on the, uh, on the patient, right? And uh, that's what we've heard throughout the show. Well, uh, I'd like to thank uh, today's guest for taking the time out of their busy schedules to join us for the program. I'd like to thank our sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at the Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, we'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. 
Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Trezza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.